to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster planning, crisis management, organizational resilience, business continuity management, anything that's relatable to those subjects. Anything that helps you, your organization, or your community plan for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or like us to talk about a specific topic, please feel free, reach out. Uh, Voice America uh, listeners, you can go to the Voice America page. There is a button underneath the graphic that allow you to send me an email. I do respond to all emails. And for those watching on YouTube, you can reach me either through LinkedIn profile, which uh, should be a link in the uh, show description, and or you can reach me through uh, leaving a comment and I will get back to you. Same thing if you want to promote a product or service, reach out the same way and I can get you some information. And finally, I'd like to thank everybody at Stone Road for sponsoring today's episode and their product boast assessment that allows you to track and maintain your programs and know how you're doing in each situation and monitor your resources appropriately. Longtime listeners, especially on the Voice America side, you will know that I talked a lot about uh, speaking at the recent Business Continuity Institute virtual uh, conference, world conference in uh, early November. And at the time I said, I hope I get to uh, have some of the speakers on the show. And today I am lucky enough to have one of those speakers. So I'd like to welcome to the show, Rick Cudworth. Rick, welcome. Thank you, Alex. And uh, great to be here. Now, your, your uh, topic at uh, BCI World was, let me get the right wording that was provided, building stronger organizational resilience. It was. And, you know, the reason we think this is a really important issue right now is, you know, the more and more we're talking to leaders of organizations, they are saying to us, in fact, resilience is now a strategic issue as we look forward. So we're in a period of great uncertainty Uh, We need to look at how we become more resilient, both as an organization, but also within our sectors and our communities and and sort of nationally and globally. Now, before uh, we jump into uh, resilience, uh, we do have listeners uh, around the globe. Uh, So could you kind of give us a quick uh, minute or two, uh, talk about yourself, what you do and how you got into the industry? Yeah, I, I mean, um, I've been working the subject, I guess, for nearly 30 years or so now. And uh, originally, I, I came with a bit of a technology background. And uh, as part of that, I was uh, uh, one of the remits I had was to build sort of resilient systems or more resilient systems. So that's, uh, that got me started. I, I actually had an engineering background before that. I studied chemical engineering, in fact, at university. So again, you know, if you think about the principles of engineering, and particularly in the chemical and nuclear industry, Again, it's all about fault tolerance uh, design and uh, resilient design. So I suspect uh, through, you know, through my career, I've developed uh, and increasingly moved into the sphere of organizational resilience, 
crisis management aspects as well, uh, and working with senior leaders and with boards to address strategic risk issues that they're facing and look at how, how can we become more resilient to those, those strategic risks. And you're talking to us from uh, the UK today? I am, yes. I'm here based in London. Um, I've, worked, uh, I've worked across the world in <laughs> many countries as well. Mid-morning and uh, here it's, uh, well, really early morning. <laughs> so um, now let's jump into the resilience. <laughs> yes. What is resilience? There are so many definitions out there. What is your definition of resilience? So there are a lot of definitions out there. And, um, you know, I, I also chair here in the UK Technical Committee for Continuity and Resilience. And, you know, if you look at both the British standard for organizational resilience uh, and the international standard for organizational resilience, there are definitions in there. In fact, there are two slightly different definitions in there. Uh, similar, but they are different. Um, I, I like to keep it really simple, though. And I think, uh, you know, in terms of organizational resilience, I would say, and, and we say here, that res a resilient organization um, is uh, able to deal with before, during, and after adversity. So, you know, resilience is about not just how you respond during a crisis and how you recover from it, but actually it's also about what you do before uh, adversity occurs. I know we're going to get to that uh, later on the show, um, those aspects you just mentioned. So what's a... a um you also in your presentation you talked about a resilience mindset what what is the resilience mindset because i i don't think i've heard anybody uh say mindset before when, it, when yeah it i'll talk about culture i guess in the resilience context and, and and i think that is an important context we were saying fundamentally this is a mindset issue it's a it's a prerequisite I think, to becoming a more resilient organization and I use the term more resilient than just saying a resilient organization, because I don't think you can ever be 100% resilient against everything and anything. You can become more resilient. But the mindset point to me is, you know, about constantly challenging yourselves about the what if. So what if this risk did occur? How would we deal with that? But it's also about challenge yourself about the what next. And I don't mean they're just necessarily the what's the next risk we need to think about, but also what's the next opportunity? What are we facing in terms of market disruptions or technology disruptions? Where are the things, you know, how are we gonna to have to adapt and, and flex our business as we go forward? So, so I think the mindset issue is about those two things. It's, it's a constantly challenging the what if, but it's also looking forward in terms of the what next. Uh, and I think, an organization that has that mindset, that constantly does that, uh, is, is, is setting the ground, at least uh, the necessary ground to become more resilient. It's interesting. You, you said um, taking a look at where things are. You know, it almost sounds like it, an organization needs to be mindful, like a mindfulness it's you know, of knowing where you are, what's going on around you at all times, not just looking at the bottom line, we've got to make money or we, we need customers. We need to sell more of these, you know, it, it's, it, it encompasses so much more than just, you know, what's in the sales pipeline. Yeah. But I think that's a very nice way of putting it, Alex, uh, you know, being mindful is, is absolutely there. Mindful, as I say, though, in the sort of what if and the what next context. Yeah. Can what if, um, and, and cause you got me thinking about this uh, in the days 
a long time ago, because um, I've been around a couple of years myself, that, uh, you know, what if sometimes was looked as being negative, you know, as a way of distraction? And I, I've suffered from this too. You know, when you hear too many what if situations, yeah. people tune out. It's like, oh, good, you're, you're just, you know, you're, you're making things up here. You know, we, we need to go this direction. And you're asking all these what if questions. What changed for us to start actually really embracing that what if uh, mindset? Yeah, and I think that is one of the biggest challenges because a lot of, um, you know, a lot of organizations can see it and a lot of leaders who by nature want to be positive and forward looking can, can view it as, as a bit of a negative and a backward step. Uh, I think the term you use there, there about being mindful is probably important. You know, a leader needs to think both forwards, but also needs to consider things in the round and be mindful. Um, but I, I, that's why I think we set this as a sort of prerequisite because if you don't have that mindset and it's all just about the bottom line or charging forwards and things, then you, you, you may well succeed and you may well succeed for a period, but you're going to be vulnerable to things that happen that you didn't see coming, which you could have seen coming if you'd been asking those questions in, 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 in the round. So <clears throat> I do think uh, overcoming that negativity is really important. And uh, resilience should not be thought of as a negativity, uh, a negative issue or even just a cost issue, it should be thought of as a strength. You know, resilience is a strength and you should want your organization to be strong. How far do we take the what if uh, questions? You know, um, you, you, we can, uh, as an example, you know, what happens if we have a earthquake and then from an earthquake, what if we lose our building? Okay, what if we lose this? You know, you can keep going down and down and down with what ifs. How far should we take that? Yeah, I, you know, I, I heard it really well put not long ago uh, by somebody else that, um, you know, resilience is often seen as, you know, I'm, I'm here to tell you something you don't want to know yeah. and ask you to spend money you don't have on something you don't believe is gonna happen, okay? <laughs> But, but we have to overcome. We have to overcome that. Um, now, this isn't then about forever uh, getting lost in the what ifs and the drill downs. But it is about. I, I think you put it really well with the concept of being mindful. We we, we have our, our risk registers as organisations. We look at how we're controlling risks. Um, there's a often say we control this risk and therefore you know in a good position it's green but are we asking the question if that risk materialized despite all the great work we've done what would happen do we know are we ready to deal with that you know and i think it is about going through that um but it's it's not about a, a constant you know every second challenge to this but it's about a a, re a regular and thoughtful process and we will probably come to it later but we talk about you know Resilience has to be by design. Resilience is a matter of choice. And if you don't examine the what ifs, you're probably not always going to make the right choices. So I think it's, it's very much linked to that. Yeah, maybe I'm just uh, having memories of sitting in meetings where you, we, we talked about, you know, the old BIAs or risk assessments, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, people would ask what if, and you'd have to come up with an answer. And then they'd ask another what if and another one. 
you know, and after doing some research, it was because they're really trying to derail you to prove that I don't have to do anything with business continuity. I don't have to do disaster planning because you don't have all the answers. You know, so it, it's interesting to see how that's now changed, you know, uh, from what I experienced, you know, 10 plus years ago. Yeah, I, I, look, I think I think it has. If I went to years ago, um, it, the conversations at deep levels would often have been around, oh, that would happen. Uh, then it became, well, if it happens. I would say now there's much more appetite for the conversation, particularly at the board level and non-executive director, to say, we should think about this in the context of when it happens. Okay, let's assume it will happen. Then we can start to, to move forward. I think COVID had something to do with that too, because um, the worst case scenario people used to think about is our people aren't available or our facility is completely gone or something's happened in our community. But COVID came along, our people were still here, our facility yeah. was still available, our systems were still up and running. You know, and our worst case was completely different than what we thought it was supposed to have been. It was supposed to have been, you know, the destruction type thing. And COVID came along and it was some, the worst case scenario was something we couldn't see. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's interesting because we've long argued that organizational resilience and even within that, the context of operational resilience, you know, it's about a broader same range of risks than just, you know, we've lost a yeah. facility or we've lost this. We need to think more broadly around the range of risks we're dealing with. Um, and I think the other thing, you know, interestingly, you, you look at the sort of um, World Economic Forum and the, the sort of the risk, annual risk document they produce here in the UK, our government produces a national risk register guess what, right up there are health and pandemics as, you know, uh, highly likely and high impact um, events. You know, in fact, the argument is that a pandemic is a certainty. It's just a question of when, not an if. Um, so the failure to necessarily have, have been fully um, prepared for it is, is something that I think people will look at. Now, would we have expected every organization to have a you know, fully prepared uh, response to a pandemic of this scale? Possibly not, but it was not without, um, it's not beyond the bounds of thinking that a pandemic is, is likely to happen. It's, it's been there, it's clearly on, the, on these risk registers I've referred to, and, and organizations have had opportunity to think ahead what they would do if that, that did happen. And, you know, where, who, who isn't, uh, experiencing some sort of an impact from COVID now, you know, so, you know, we have to change yeah. the way of thinking. It can't just be, you know, what do we do with an earthquake? You know, we have to look at the larger, like, as you said, you know, the larger risk perspective. We have to see, look beyond now. We do. And, you know, there are other global challenges we're facing. And again, you know, they're, they're, they're staring at us and we need to be conscious of those and being sure we can become more resilient to those um, as we go forwards. And I think this, this pandemic will be a valuable lesson um, in dealing with those other types of risks as well. The one thing that's been really interesting with this pandemic, and I, I, I lived through the H1N1 sort of um, pandemic, which was, you know, much more minor in the end in, in scale, um, also, you know, I've had dealings when, when SARS and MERS came through, which again, never became a full global pandemic, but they were there. But the interesting thing, if I went back to H1N1, when was that? That's only 
10, 12 years ago or so, um, we, we really could not have responded in the way we have done this time because the technology, the technology we're using now <laughs> to do this interview just didn't really exist. So this mass move by many organizations to home working and, the vid and, and, and all the facilities we've got to do that and enable the collaboration work to continue and all the rest, we really couldn't have done that, I don't think, 10, 12 years ago. We can now. So, so technology has played a really vital role in building resilience into the system. And that'll be another interesting thing that we'll, you know, we should look at going forward, I think, as organizations. And on that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We're talking today with Rick Cudworth, and we're talking about organizational resilience. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance of success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something unexplained that is missing in your life, you'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Joe and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullock. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back. We are talking with Rick Cudworth today about organizational resilience. Rick, in the first segment, you mentioned uh, resilience life cycle. To be honest, I didn't know there was a life cycle to resilience. So can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, I, I, again, I, I think there is. I mean, clearly you want to build resilience and then you've got to be able to sustain it for the long term. 
but we've tried to put it in a, in a simple context of, you know, first you have to achieve leads by design. So that is, as I talk about, uh, this is about the choices you make uh, when you make, uh, when, when, you, when you design and build systems or, you know, how you want to operate, whether that's from um, the workforce or your, your places of work, et cetera. So all of that, your supply chain, all of those things should be considered. So there are design choices about how you set up, uh, how much diversity, um, how much redundancy, for example, that you build in as part of that. That's the way you operate. That's, the, that's resilience by design. We then talk about the second stage being um, resilience through change. And to us, that is saying, well, if we've built resilience by design, we need to safeguard and ensure and even enhance resilience when we make change. So we should ensure that resilience continues through change. And also change is an opportunity to actually adapt the organization as well the future that sort of what next is part of that resilience with change and then finally we talk about but crisis sorry alex i lost you there oh sorry um what kind of changes are you referring to organizational change technology change or really an all-encompassing type of change all forms of change yeah all incoming strategic change through to the more tactical changes you make every day all of those aspects, we say, you should be thinking about, does this change make us more or less resilient? Okay. And the, the answer should really be, it should at least maintain or make us more re resilient. If it makes us less resilient, is that really what we intend to do and achieve or something else we should be doing here to, to maintain or, or enhance resilience as we make this change? So I think that's the fundamental type of question we're talking about there. Okay. And then having, having built resilience by design, safeguarded it through change, we talk about then you have to be able to demonstrate resilience and adversity. So in times of crisis, which inevitably still will happen uh, because you cannot as an organization control all events, you know, you can't control things happen to, to you and to us. Um, you then need to be able to respond effectively. So you need to um, have those response capabilities have the ability to adapt and apply resources very quickly uh, to deal with the situation. Is that where things like uh, the crisis management team and uh, things like that come into play through managing? Yes, it is. Yeah. It's very much focused on the crisis organization, how you respond, the leadership aspects, the ability to adapt and, and, and apply those resources uh, that you need very quickly uh, to respond to the situation and then recover uh, a question back to the, the change uh, piece that I thought about afterwards. With uh, different changes, is that done through some sort of an assessment, you know, or project management before something gets implemented? Um, you know, how do you go about that? Because, you know, a person could leave and that's a change. So how do you, and, and they take their skill and knowledge with them, regardless if they, you know, work with someone or not, they, they are still the were the, the one that had everything in their head. So, you know, how do you, uh, how do you go about assessing uh, that change and identifying if it impacts your resilience capabilities? I think some of the answer is yes, it is part of the sort of change management process. Are we asking that question? Is it formally considered? Is there, is there proper sign-offs around that change in terms of its resilience implications? 
I think some of it is also about, you talked about the mindfulness, but it, it, it's that broader mindfulness as well about what we're doing and is that making us more, more resilient? Um, and it's for the board and the, the non-executives to be constantly challenging that, that perspective as well. So I think it is multi-layered, uh, as all of these things need to be. Um, and uh, by design, you, you kind of touched on a little bit. Um, by design, it's not just processes and systems, right? Are you including uh, what people are able to do, you know, uh, uh, taking into account um, people resilience? Not just yeah, uh, uh, by design to me. So, so I also talk about three core pillars of organizational resilience. So and that was and those are, next, next Yeah, uh, okay. So, so but, there we go. <laughs> but, you know, you've got to be financially resilient. You've got to be operationally resilient and you've got to be reputationally resilient. Okay. So if we think about those three pillars, what we're saying is by design, you should be aiming to make each of those more resilient. Now that might be about making sure in financial resilience, you know, we have adequate access to liquidity and, and funding if we should need it in an emergency. We have a strong balance sheet. In reputational resilience, it might be making sure that we have the right stakeholders uh, on side with us. So we've got a, a great reputation with our financiers, our investors, our customers, etc., who will stand with us in times of adversity. Uh, but in, when you come to operational resilience, to, to me that is about every element that's not financial in terms of the way we set up and operate. So whether that's our technology, whether that's our supply chain, whether that's our workforce or our workplace, all of those aspects, looking at those and saying, are we set up in each of those areas to be more resilient? Would communications, because you mentioned stakeholders, communications be a big part of that before, during, and after any kind of a, a situation? Because you mentioned you know, uh, partners that are going to stand by you. So I, I'm assuming yeah. you, you can't really just, um, not that it won't happen, but you can't just dump on uh, a, a vendor or a partner and say, I need you to do this and that without them having any idea of, well, what? What do you need us to do? What? Yeah. I, I think communications, uh, and I actually also think aspects of behavioral science, right, have been underestimated, undervalued, or under-involved in the concept uh, and talk around resilience and business continuity and things like that in the past. Um, fundamental to good resilience is effective risk communication. Fundamental to good response is effective stakeholder communication. Fundamental to maintaining or building your reputational resilience is good communication. So communications play, as you say, throughout. Um, I, I mentioned behavioral science there because actually communications are not just about giving a message, but particularly in terms of time of adversity, they may be about influencing or trying to change certain behaviors. You're wanting a response uh, as a result of the communication you're making. A better understanding of behavioral science might help us understand the effect of communications and the types of communications that might need to be made and who should make those communications to get the intended response back. And that, that uh, I assume, gets into you know, some of the crisis management you know, and communication aspects when something happens. But hopefully those channels have already been established 
before you get to that point. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So what kind of groups in an organization uh, have to or should contribute to resilience? Is it just, you know, a business unit or a technology unit? Um, or are there other groups, uh, departments in an organization that have to be involved with resilience? Yeah, it's, um, I, you know, it, it's simple to say, well, I think resilience is everybody's business in an organization. And to, to an extent, I think that is true. Um, there's very few parts of an organization where you wouldn't say, well, resilience matters. Uh, it does matter in, in all parts of the organization. Um, I, I think one of the interesting aspects, again, is historically resilience has been mainly considered as something that our sort of back office functions get on with and deal with. So technology departments, you know, etc. Yeah. Increasingly, and it's a direction the financial services sector is, is taking here, particularly in the UK, but I think it's, it's, it's being influenced globally quite widely as well, is we need to think of resilience from the outside in. So from the impacts on our customers or on our communities and our external stakeholders. And in doing so, what that's driving is much more engagement and input of resilience from the front line of organizations. And I think that's a really, really important uh, uh, move that, need, that uh, needs to happen. Is there any one person or area that should, um, for lack of a better term, own organizational resilience or, or drive it, you know, uh, spearhead the the uh, a resilience uh, movement or, or mindset to use mm. the term at the beginning? Yeah, and again, I think uh, if I refer back to the financial sector and the work that's gone, gone on, it's, it's quite interesting to draw some parallels with the financial crisis and how the financial sector stepped out of the financial crisis and rebuilt financial re resilience, in fact, strengthened financial resilience as a result of that. Now, yes, it's regulatory driven, but there's some, some fundamentals they put in place to deal with that, some requirements that had to be met, etc. Now, the financial sector is embarking on a similar journey now on operational resilience. Um, and one of the things that they're requiring here in, in the UK, at least, is an accountable executive. Mm -hmm. So there has to be a clear accountable executive for operational resilience within a financial institution. Like and the other requirement is they have, and, and typically, no, that typically that is the chief um, uh, operations officer, the COO. Okay. Uh, occasionally it can be the CIO, but usually most organizations are adopting for this, the, the chief of operations uh, for operational resilience. Um, but also they are mandating clear board sign-offs in certain start parts of the process. So again, we talked about mindset being a prerequisite. Uh, in the financial sector, uh, I think quite rightly, they're adding that sort of governance and accountability as a prerequisite to successful operational resilience. Uh, and I think, again, you know, really, really important. So how would an organization measure their resilience? You know, you don't want to wait for, you know, a fire, a flood or another pandemic to have a look at where you are and say, oh, okay, we were ready, we weren't ready, you know, on a scale of one yeah. to 10, we're a six. How do you measure the, 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 your current status of resiliency and monitor it and build it as you go forward? You know, how do you measure you know, your, your organizational resiliency strength? 
Yeah, and I think that's an area, you know, we have not done very well in the past. The, the attempts to measure it have often been around maturity models. They've been a bit vague, uh, very subjective, I think. Tick boxes. Again, and and uh, tick boxes and, you know, this, we're, we're maturity level four and there's a maturity level one. I, I think, again, we can learn from the financial sector and what was done on financial resilience. And if we think about what the regulators put in place, things like capital adequacy ratios, liquidity ratios, clear, clear measures of financial resilience. And what do they do on top of that? They added stress testing. So we're going to pose severe but plausible scenarios and you'll be able to test that you can maintain within those ratios uh, through that scenario. You'll be able to model it and show that you can do that or not do that. And you then have, would have to build sufficient capital or liquidity to stay within the model. So there's a clear set of ways of looking at it there in financial resilience. I think you can apply some similar things to reputational resilience. There are actually quite clear measures of reputational resilience that run different stakeholder groups that can be used. The interesting one is going to be operational resilience. Mm -hmm. But I think that's the journey that we should start looking at. Are there clear metrics? And I think these metrics will vary quite significantly by different organizations, partly because of the nature of what those organizations do, but also partly because of the choices they want to make around resilience. But can you set operational metrics for resilience? I think you can. And if you do, then we can start to measure that and say, are we, able to, are we, are we operating within those, those levels? And then we can start to apply stress testing, operational resilience stress testing. So severe but plausible scenarios. What does that do to our operational resilience indicators? Can we stay within? So really, and again, the financial sector is looking at that. So you could really be taking your uh, business continuity program as an example and, you know, amping it up, you know, supercharging it. You know, <laughs> you know it, just because you have a business continuity plan doesn't mean you're resilient. You know, you're going to almost... Uh, you know, we have we have to supercharge this now to make sure that ongoing on a daily operational level, not just when disaster happens, you know, that we can keep going and meet these basic thresholds. Yeah, and uh, you know, the sort of indicators we might think about is we require a certain percentage of diversity within our supply chain. We require a certain amount of alternative routing within our supply chain. Okay, and, and those are me measures and metrics we've, we've set and we want to keep to. So are we, are we within that tolerance or not? Uh, and that's the type of thing I'm, I'm thinking about. And then with the stress testing, um, you know, we're looking at, can you, you know, clearly people understand you can do financial models and you can see the numbers when you apply a scenario and how that changes. Can you do something similar in the operational world and we think there may be some modeling techniques there that can be used. Um, you know, in engineering extensively, the concepts of digital twins have been used, which is a form of modeling. And could we, they're often used to, can we improve organizational design or process design? But it's not a big step to say, well, process failure and process degradation, can we model that? And, you probably, and, and we think you can. So these will be interesting areas, but I think that's, mm -hmm. that's uh, something to look at for the future. That does sound interesting. I'd love to get involved with something like that. Uh, we've come to the end of our uh, second segment. Today, we are talking with Rick Cudworth about organizational resilience, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Planning for college? 
Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something unexplained that is missing in your life, you'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Joe and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking about organizational resilience with Rick Cudworth. Rick, great uh, first couple of segments. Now, how do we recognize a resilient organization? What are some of the characteristics? You know, and on the other side, how do, if someone says they are resilient, how can we recognize that, no, you're not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that, that first, that, that second point actually, uh, and they say, oh, we are a resilient organization. Um, interesting, when I was going through the standards process uh, for the British standard, there was a lot of debate about the term, use of the term resilience, you know, and, and it was concluded that, I think I mentioned earlier, as an organization, you, you can't be 100% resilient. Um, it's almost an unachievable goal, but you can be more resilient. So mm-hmm. it's about degrees of resilience rather than absolute, an absolute term of being resilient. So if somebody says to me as an organization, we're resilient, I'm going, resilient to what, for start? Yeah. Um, so uh, it, it's, you know, they always would concern me when an organization says, we're resilient because that can suggest complacency perhaps or flippancy with it. Um, but if somebody wants to say, you know, how do we understand whether we're on that journey to being more resilient? I would say there are some fundamental character, characteristics or principles of organizations that are, are more resilient. 
we've talked about the mindset type issue uh, and the governance and accountability as being sort of prerequisites. So those, those need to be in place, I think. Um, but then you are looking for things like, um, do we ensure diversity um, in, in, in the way we can either deliver products or services? Have we got alternative ways of doing things? Are we creating options for how we can deliver that service and do through different means or receive goods in different ways? Okay. We're talking about, do we have redundancies or buffers we need them? So if there is a break, is there that type of, type of buffer that can just smooth over the disruption we have? And then another type of characteristic you're looking for is, is there a degree of modularity in how we've designed things? So we don't create huge single points of failure where if that, that, uh, that, that asset, if you like, fails, everything comes to a stop. But actually, if that asset fails, we can contain the impact around it, but everything else could continue. So there are certain principles about how you design and your, your operations, if you like, um, that can create the, the necessary buffers of different forms um, for, for organizational resilience. But ultimately, to me, it's about do we create the options? Uh, do we have options available to us when things go wrong? Because the more options we have, the more resilient we will be. If we only have one option, we're less resilient than if we have two or three. So uh, as an example, um, uh, I, I'm looking at it, how you, you're breaking it down, uh, looking at the supply chain, rather than just saying, you know, if I don't get product from uh, vendor A, I'll just go to vendor B. It's looking at vendor A and say, now, what if they can't deliver um, from their Toronto facility? You know, you talk to them and say, hey, can we still get your product from another facility? Yeah, you can get it from Chicago. You know, is, is it that way of kind of breaking things down? You know, um, it, it, I, it is absolutely that, that way. And no, Alex, you, no, you're spot on. And that's a good, it's a good way of putting it. It is absolutely that way. And I think I see a lot of vendor assessments around resilience and business continuity, which just ask for the vendor for their business continuity plan and ask them whether they've tested it. And I would say, no, actually, what I'm interested in is how you deliver that service of that product to me. So I want to know where do you manufacture it? Where do you hold stocks? How do you get them to me? How much do you hold near me? <laughs> Etc. So, so I understand what you have. And then if I feel that's not resilient enough, I'm going to influence you as a supplier to make that more diverse or to create more resilience within it. Or I'm going to go to another supplier that will help do that. So I think it is exactly that type of thinking. Okay. Now, uh, I'd like to look at um, individual resilience. Uh, and I know during our, our break that we uh, had as we record this, I mentioned uh, sometimes resilience is always looked at by processes, you know, but I think organizations also need to uh, allow people to become resilient because if people aren't resilient, your processes are never going to get there, in my view. So how do you bring in personal or individual resilience into an organization so that the uh, communications are, are resilient? You know, there's a path for employees to identify a gap or uh, an error, a mistake somewhere, gives them a, a path to identify this, you know, to learn from this and 
nobody gets upset with them. You know, why are you, you know, stirring the pot, so to speak? You know, so how do you bring in uh, personal resilience uh, into an organization? How, how does that happen? Yeah, I think there, there are possibly two different aspects there. There's one about, you know, personal resilience and individuals being resilient within themselves, particularly in times of adversity, uh, being able to continue to operate effectively. You know, and that's really important throughout an organization from, we talk about resilient leadership, being able to stand, withstand the stresses and strains of, of crises right through the organization itself, uh, the, you know, down to the, the, the ground force on the ground, dealing with the customers, being resilient there. But I think the other point you're touching on, which is vitally important, is that ability, as you say, of individuals to report uh, problems or issues they feel are not right or might be at, at risk. And I think, again, we can learn quite a lot from high reliability organizations. And there's been a lot of studies on high reliability organizations. And what are the characteristics that make those organizations more reliable? And they're typically you know, in the safety and engineering world. But what they do is they promote a culture of reporting. They promote culture where if you report something, that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, they have a culture where near misses, right, are as much subject to review as to what might have happened or what nearly caused the event and could have happened as actual incidents when they do happen. They treat near misses as just as important in terms of understanding and, and trying to, to, to avoid. So they foster that culture of um, reliability through, through that, um, that reporting. Now, how do you deal with uh, situations or any recommendations where you know, managers or people in higher levels may be great, you know, at uh, managing the bottom line and, uh, you know, getting sales and marketing and reputation, but aren't really the best at, uh, you know, their own personal resilience, because wouldn't that trickle down into the organization? You know, things like that, like, you know, just because you're the president, you know, of an organization or, other things, as we've seen recently, doesn't mean you're the best person you know, to, yeah. to promote organizational resilience. Yeah, yeah. And it's an interesting thing. I, I do a reasonable amount of crisis leadership training. And uh, one of the aspects we cover in crisis leadership training is personal resilience. And secondly, then as a leader, sustaining resilience within your organization, as in sustaining individuals' resilience, the team resilience through your organization. But the thing I would draw on first is it's surprising to me how few organizations undertake crisis leadership training. More and more organizations put their senior teams through crisis exercises, right? So they have a, they have a practice at decision-making and coordinating events through a scenario and stuff. But the basic fundamentals of training to leaders in crisis situations isn't given very often. So we're asking leaders to rehearse something they've never been trained in. Or worse still, we're asking leaders to perform in crisis for something they've never had the training to do. Um, so I think there's a real need now to actually look at the training of leaders to deal with crises. And a, a core component of that actually is the personal resilience. You know, we use techniques in, in some of the prof personality profiling we do, which looks at how, how behaviors might change in a time of stress or crisis. And, you know, for a lot of people, behaviors do. And, and 
what their normal everyday strengths might migrate to a different area of strength when they're under stress and under crisis. So, you know, having that self-awareness and awareness of how your executive team as a whole might look is, is important. Uh, so all of those aspects really, I think, yeah, I, I've seen situations, and we see it on the news, and we you know we read about it, uh, where um, you know people that are strong leaders flounder when something bad happens, and those that seem weak on a daily basis all of a sudden just stand up and become really strong when uh, a crisis or a disaster occurs. So, how do yeah, you? Yeah. Some- any examples on what kind of training you give these people? You know, uh, to to kind of bolster their uh, leadership uh, during crises? Yeah, so we, we try and train them in some of the techniques they can use. So everything from, you know, personal resilience techniques that look at, you know, how do, for example, special forces uh, use techniques that maintain harm steady, even in the real heat of a moment? Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of those are very simple things like, like breathing, finding time, Taking a moment to get some space is stepping up. You know, so they're they're obvious concepts, but you need to think about it and you need to put them in place and recognize those are really important things when you're under that sort of crisis. Some of it's about understanding how your behaviors might change, as I talked about. So you can look at that and understand it and and address that. Um, Some about it is about recognizing it's a bit like the grief curve. When, when a crisis happens, the instinctive human reaction, not just for you as a leader, but for your organization, is that can't be happening. It can't be us. It can't be happening to me. It's a sort of denial process. Okay? Yeah. We need to move out of that really, really quickly. Because whether you believe it's right or wrong or whatever, probably doesn't matter at this stage. What matters is we have to accept where we are. And almost certainly whatever the nature of the crisis uh, at some point, right, your stakeholders will perceive you to be in the wrong. They will be on your side if you've got the reputation resilience and they'll want you to put it right. That's your moment to sort of respond really, really well. So we look at how you come out of that cycle very quickly and, and move into the sort of forwards engagement. Um, it's interesting. That almost loops back to what we said at the very beginning about mindfulness, being mindful, you know, taking a step back, you know, taking a moment for yourself, breathe. And then, you know, know what's actually happening rather than, you know, what you perceive to be happening and, you know, no, it's not, you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah, exactly. And, and we look at things like the training that airline pilots will have, you know, and again, that ability, you know, to use checklists because they buy you time. You're not having to think about what's happening because it's there for you. So you can think about the things that matter. Uh, again, that ability to just calm yourself so you can try and make the best decision you can under the pressure that you might be facing. Um, is, is there. Well, we've only got three minutes left. Can you take two minutes with any final thoughts on organizational resilience? Yeah, Alex, I think it's been a great chat. So thank you. And we've covered a lot of ground on it. Um, I mean, I think to me, again, the fundamentals for organizational resilience, we talked about it, it comes down to one, the mindset. You know, add the governance and accountability there, but fundamentally it's about the mindset. We talked a little bit about that reporting culture as well. Enable your people to report things that may look wrong or be wrong. So having that there. The second bit to me is think about the life cycle. Resilience is a choice, okay? It's always a choice at all stages. So 
we talk about a life cycle of resilience by design. You, you need to want to achieve resilience to become more resilient. You can only do that by design. So looking at the way you operate, looking at how your finances are architected, understanding, can we make those more resilient, where and how. Then we need to make sure we can safeguard and maintain resilience through change. And then we need to ensure we've got the capabilities to demonstrate our resilience and adversity. So I think those three elements of the life cycle are really important. And then finally, we should always look at resilience across the three pillars for an organization. We need to be strong financially. We need financial resilience. We need to combine that with our operational resilience and reputational resilience. So those three aspects to me, they stand as three pillars. They support each other. All three need to be strong because an initial shock will impact one of those pillars. It'll be the strength of the other pillars that will help see us through. So those to me are the the, uh, the essence and if, of, of and if one gets impacted, it, it can carry over into into the others, right? Absolutely, it can. So if if you have a financial shock and it weakens your financial strength, if you if you it, it will affect your reputational resilience with investors and the markets. Yeah. But if you have strong re- resilience, if you have strong reputational resilience, there you're more likely to be able to get more funding or whatever access uh, liquidity if you, if you need. So that's, these things support each other. And on that, we've come to the end of our show. Rick, thanks very much. I really enjoyed uh, our our conversation today. So thanks for taking the time and sharing uh, your expertise with us. Thank you, Alex. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. And for everybody who's listening and or watching, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.